Hey, this is Alex Shaw, and you're listening to The Soul of Life. I tell you that's a pity, cause I can't get enough. It's like, oh my God, my, my 11-year-old daughter says she's a boy. If we start hormones, which are, have permanent implications, what does that mean for the rest of their life? How can an, a, a nine-year-old make a lifelong decision? Today on The Soul of Life, I speak with IFS lead trainer, trauma therapist, and former Harvard psychiatrist, Frank Anderson, about the surge of young children questioning their gender or seeking to transition. Anytime a minority group comes to awareness and is more available to the general public, there's going to be backlash and there's going to be what IFS calls a polarity. Even a quick glance at recent media reporting can display the full range of this polarity. On the one hand, our parents and health experts who may be unquestioningly supportive of a child's exploration of their sexual orientation or gender identity and fear obstacles to free expression. On the other hand, are parents and mental health experts who wonder if the rapid rise in reports of children seeking gender transition could call for caution and careful assessment, and they fear the fast-tracking of hormone therapy for kids. And of course, there's a lot of gray area in the middle. As a gay person, you know, I have a lot of personal experience of what it's like to be living in a world where you don't fit and you don't belong. IFS stands for the Internal Family Systems Model of Psychotherapy that represents the state of the art among trauma therapists for its paradigm-bending view of the mind as naturally multiple. And the view that we have protective aspects of our identity that can mask our real, authentic selves. Anytime anybody's experiencing something traumatic, it blocks access to who they are. So the more trauma we heal, the more people become their natural core selves. I ask Frank what self-led gender fluidity would look like if applied to children who want to identify as trans. We discuss how the IFS concept of self, a core spiritual aspect of us that is distinct from our protective parts, could be key to help relieve distress on both sides of the cultural polarity related to kids and gender identity. Anybody with gender issues or sexual orientation issues has trauma in my definition like it's, it has, it's traumatic by definition especially if you live in this world even today I'll say key. Frank talks about his experience with kids in his practice who question their sexual orientation or gender identity two totally distinct things by the way and what he calls the natural evolution of authenticity around identity development it takes somebody a while to get connected to what's authentic for them. I couldn't even explore my sexual orientation at all until my trauma was healed. Let's not make any decisions until you've healed your trauma. We agree just how important it is and rare to find safe space as mental health clinicians to explore and have this conversation about our biases, judgments, and subconscious fears that could interfere with our ability to hold genuine curiosity and clarity when we see families in our practice struggling to navigate these complex decisions. Therapists get triggered and, you know, it's not popular to say that, right? Welcome to The Soul of Life. I'm Keith Miller. And this is episode 15 of season two, Trans Authentic, the IFS concept of self-leadership with gender identity. 
oh my god everybody in my friend group is bisexual and i totally am bisexual and that's where i gotta be I'm Keith Miller, and my podcast, The Soul of Life, is here to help you remember who you really are. I'll bring together people who have gotten off their treadmills. I'll have conversations with athletes, musicians, doctors, scientists, healers, and entrepreneurs to discuss the fascinating edges of our knowledge in neurobiology, psychology, and physics. This is The Soul of Life. Please take the time now to subscribe to The Soul of Life wherever you're listening. Give it a thumbs up or write a positive review. That's the best way to make sure you don't miss out on these amazing episodes planned for season two. Dr. Frank Anderson completed his residency and was a clinical instructor in psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He is both a psychiatrist and psychotherapist and specializes in the treatment of trauma and dissociation. He's passionate about teaching brain-based psychotherapy and integrating current neuroscience knowledge with the internal family systems model of therapy. Dr. Anderson is a lead trainer at the Internal Family Systems Institute with Richard Swartz and maintains a long affiliation with and trains for Dr. Bessel van der Kolk in his trauma center in Boston. He serves as an advisor to the International Association of Trauma Professionals and was the former chair and director of the Foundation for Self-Leadership, which funds empirical research on internal family systems model of therapy. Dr. Anderson has lectured extensively on the neurobiology of PTSD and dissociation and written and spoken about IFS therapy and psychopharmacology on topics such as which parts of you are taking medicine for the mind and which parts perhaps don't want to take medicine. Welcome to the Soul of Life, Dr. Frank Anderson. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good to see you again, and I'm glad uh, you've made it through the long winter of Boston, I understand, (laughs) and, and you've survived. Yeah, well, that's a whole other topic, probably for another time, Keith, is everybody in the world surviving and getting through all the layers and levels of a pandemic. So I'm happy, you know, we yes, we did survive it here (laughs) in this corner of the world. And, you know, there's so much that's going to be said and talked about as it were, as this all, all the dimensions of Mm. it all unfold for everybody. There there is a lot to unpack for sure. Exactly. Um, Yeah, we're seeing so much going on. And I think that's part of our discussion today can be kind of what are we seeing? The world is changing. You and I were just yes. talking about that. Yeah, The world is changing so fast and there's so much more energy, trauma energy, I would say, yeah. infused because of all the grief that we've had. Um, I want to ask you about your book because right off the top, you, you're, congratulations, you're releasing a book called Transcending Trauma, Healing Complex PTSD with Internal Family Systems Therapy. I want to hear about that. Yeah, it's so... It's so exciting for me and so thrilling. I have to say it was a, a passion project, a labor of love, like, and it really is the culmination of my life's work to date. So it's a big thing for me. It's a big deal. It's the first time I've yeah. solo authored a book. I've, you know, have co-authored books and written chapters and articles before. So this one was, um, and it was f- fortunately, unfortunately great to be in a pandemic. So I had a lot of free time. Everybody else was cleaning out their closets and making bread. I was making writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. I was writing a book. So That's it was, great. but I really, I, I hope people can resonate with it. I hope people, um, find it valuable. I, I love it. It's, it's coming out May 19th was the official release date. Oh, great. It's this, I'll say, say a couple things about it. And as we yeah, relate to this topic, do. it's, one thing that I is, was really important to me, I mean, I've done 
trauma work kind of my whole career. I've worked with Bessel van der Kolk, as you kind of talked about. It's where my career started in trauma in 1992, way back when, in my residency. And, you know, met Dick Schwartz in, I think, 2004. So it's really an integration of my life's work as it relates to trauma, IFS, and then my love of neuroscience as a physician, psychotherapist combos. It's a combination of trauma treatment in the way that I've known it over my career, um, integrating it with IFS and neuroscience knowledge. So I'm hoping that it's going to be a helpful resource for clinicians to kind of pull all of these different elements together. But also, I have to tell you, Keith, I, I really am speaking also personally as someone who's a trauma survivor. You know, there's very much this us and them culture in our, in our culture, certainly in the psychotherapy world. I'm the expert. You have a trauma history. And it's important for me in this book to talk about many clinical, clinical cases to help people in their practice, but also personally, because most therapists are wounded healers. Most of us have trauma histories in one way or another. That is wonderful. So this comes out May 19th. I'm going to definitely look for that and and recommend it. And and I I know for for a fact that IFS books and IFS in general, which we'll be talking about today, is... I want to say trending. I mean, that, that, that almost doesn't pay its service fully, but it's really coming into its own. Yes. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I, I started IFS in about 2009 and I mean, it's just transformed everything in my practice. And yes. I think people, when people get their hands on even 10% of it, it makes a difference in their practice. So we're going to talk about how this relates today to self-led gender fluidity. And yes. that's a term that's really an IFS term, isn't it? Self-led. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about that in a second. But I mean, any parent with a child under 20 today knows that, in my opinion, that their kids are more open to gender fluidity than any other generation, right? Yeah. We've had, we've seen this, um, this movement, uh, come to fruition here in our, in our kids' lifetime. And I live in a very progressive community, Frank, outside yeah. of DC, as do you, I think. And yes. I've heard parents and providers, healthcare providers in these areas, which are very affirmative of, uh, GLBTQ and trans affirmative, you know, people, they're struggling. They're struggling with the number of of kids coming out as trans or seeking to transition from one gender or uncertain questioning their gender. And that's why I reached out to you. So yeah. I wanted to ask you what you're seeing in your practice and be able to talk today about this from an IFS perspective. Um, because, you know, the other, the flip side of it, I suppose, is that there are, you know, I, I think some people are raising concerns. Is there, is there pressure to fast track gender transition? Mm-hmm. And that particularly has made news in the UK where the National Health Service there over the last two years has experienced mass res- resignations in their, among their clinicians because they felt pressure to fast track a gender transition, not being able to sort of hold the whole person and look at the entire case, maybe ask questions. Is there, you know, what's underlying this? this motivation to transition, that that can be, we almost have to quietly, I find myself, and I'm, frankly, I'm a little nervous talking about this, mm. and, but that's why I wanted to reach out to you so yeah. you do it. It's like, can we talk about this without being um, perceived as transphobic, right? And so right. here we are. <laughs> why is this question important for you? Well, it's interesting. So there's so much here, you know, let's see what we can cover just in an hour is the way I would <laughs> exactly. say it. Okay. I do yeah. workshops on this. I do more and more workshops on this lately because it is a very 
uh, popular, important, important topic. As a, as somebody who grew up as a, as a gay person, you know, I have a lot of personal experience of what it's like to be living in a world where you don't fit and you don't belong. Right. Okay. So that in and of itself is traumatic. You, from a very early age, even if nobody says anything, Mm-hmm. You know you're different. You see you're different. You know you don't look and act and feel like other people. So that in and of itself is a huge issue for people who are in the LGBTQ plus community. Okay. So there's that. It's becoming more aware. It's becoming more um, relevant, common, approachable open to be talked about and discussed. It's right out in front, right? It really is. I mean, it's kids right are out bringing it out. Yeah, yeah they yeah. are. There's, you know, it's interesting. You said parents 20 and below. Um, <laughs> this friend and colleague of mine, Joe Court, is somebody yeah, who writes a Joe. lot. You know, Joe, yeah. he writes a lot about this issue and he talks about the 40 over and 40 under category. So he right. says people over 40 are in a whole different world compared to people under 40 around LGBTQ+. And I really, yeah. you know, I happen to be one of those people who's in the over 40 crowd, right? And so there is this pre and post LGBTQ world and people have diff- very different views and um, perceptions of it. The other thing I'll say about that, so there is this education that people need to have, okay? People who just didn't grow up with this, people who don't even understand these terms, which we'll talk about more. And this new generation of people that grew up with Will and Grace on TV, for example, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, there's a a level of normalizing queer culture in a way that it wasn't before. So there's this movement. Right, which I think personally is wonderful. And I'll say, Keith, any time a minority group comes to awareness and is more available to the general public, there's going right. to be backlash. Yeah. And there's going to be what IFS calls a polarity. Okay. So right. you, of course, you're going to have a group that's going to be like, hello, hi, I'm, I'm gender neutral. You know, you know, there's a pendulum swing to one direction and always in any group, there's going to be a pendulum swing in the, swing in the other yeah. direction. So the openness and then the restrictiveness. Perhaps, exactly. Or, We've yeah. seen this with the women's movement. We've seen this with LGBTQ. We've mm-hmm. seen this with Black Lives Matter. Civil you rights, know, yeah. Any, yeah. any minority group that starts to get recognized, there's this automatic polarity that shows up. Right. right. And so for me, I think you're talking about that polarity right off the bat. And we can mm-hmm. we can look at both sides. Right. We can look at both sides. And interestingly enough, what I'll say is that's a cultural phenomenon to pay attention to. In my experience, Keith, it's very different than sitting with somebody in your office. Yeah. Like it's almost yeah. it doesn't relate mm-hmm. because when you're sitting with somebody in your office who's struggling with these issues, Culture and society affects them, but it's not really what you're dealing with. You're dealing with mm-hmm. a person. So much more. Yeah. There. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you, you, as a yeah. therapist, you have to hold the swing, mm-hmm. the polarity, as well as the person right. who's internalizing both sides of that polarity. Right. 
Right. And, and I'm hoping today we'll, we'll help people who don't get a chance like you and I do to sit with others yes. and do that deep listening and be able to see all of their parts. And especially those of us who are trained to look for parts of the personality. We should talk about IFS here yeah. and, and what it means, this idea of natural multiplicity, because that gives us a really special lens, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you say, can you give the one minute <laughs> overview of IFS? How many IFS times have you done in the that? elevator? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it is, as you referenced earlier, Keith, it's really sweeping the nation, the world. This is, we have, we have trainings all over the world now. You can't even get into a level one training in IFS. They, yeah. they get full within five or 10 minutes. We have a lottery system that we're doing now to try to bring this. So it's, it's wildly spreading throughout the world because it's a paradigm for living. More than it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think it is, Frank? I mean, we've gone through, obviously going back to analysis and then behaviorism, cognitive revolution, family revolution, neuroscience. Are we, is this the IFS or is this part of the neuroscience movement? Do you think? It's not, I don't think it's part of a neuroscience movement, movement, even though I bring neuroscience knowledge to the IFS model. It started out as a psychotherapy modality. You know, Dick Schwartz, the founder, 35 years ago, he started this grassroots kind of movement of the psychotherapy modality. But pretty quickly, we learn it's more of a paradigm for living. This is a way to be in the world. Mm. It's also a way to heal trauma or help with any, you know, mental health related issues as a psychotherapy modality. But IFS is really spreading as a way of being in the world. Per, you know, I can say, for example, and, you know, those of you who know the Inside Out movie can kind of easily identify with that. You know, I, right. I was able to the do... Pixar kids animation. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. And I did some work with Pixar around this idea of parts and that mm-hmm. everybody has parts. We all have them. They're normal aspects of our personality, just like an Inside Out. Riley has joy, fear, anger, sadness, and disgust. IFS holds a view that that's normal, not pathological. Most psychotherapy modalities have historically held parts as pathological. IFS does not hold that view. We all have parts. They're all normal aspects of our personality. They can serve protective roles. They can hold wounds or they can be just normal aspects of us. So there's these three ways these parts can get organized. They're organized within different systems, especially when they're organized around a specific traumatic event or an ongoing traumatic event. Say, you know, being a gay person in this world, there's going to be a system of of parts organized around that specific issue. The other thing that IFS holds, which I think is really important, is that everybody has what's called self-energy, what IFS terms as self-energy. Now, other people call it different things, but... It's a little more than meta-awareness, but it's some people would kind of refer to it as an executive functioning capability, traditional psychology, right? But we know it is more, a little bit more than that, right? You got it. It's like your essence, your soul, your core. I think of it as a state of being that is full of love and compassion and the inherent wisdom to heal. So, right. you know, traditionally, psychotherapists go to school, you learn a bunch of theoretical things, and you impose this knowledge on your clients, and they change. IFS holds a different view here. It says the client has everything it needs within itself to heal, and we help them access 
their internal wisdom. Okay. Right. Which right. is a very important piece here as we look at the LGBTQ plus group. Like as we're talking right. about that particular, because that's a core component for me when I'm doing this work mm-hmm. is the self of the client, the person. And we'll talk more about this as we yeah. get into this a little bit yeah. further, but in IFS in general, we all have self. We all have parts. They're normal. They carry, they hold protective roles. They carry wound, pain, hurt, and trauma. And they're just who we are. Right. Right. So it's a non-pathologizing way. That's one of the ways it's so transformational that some of these symptoms, and that's, that's, I think, such a key piece, a thread of our, can be a thread of our conversation here that when, when somebody's behavior, let's say, or aspects of their personality, which include behavior, um, our enter the therapy room, the therapist is going to, is going to respond to those parts of them, those aspects in such a way that they're going to realize there's more than just that thing showing up in the room. Yes. There are things, there are other parts supporting that one facet, which may be in charge at that moment. Yes. And so when we talk about, um, I, I'm a cisgender male. Well, we can talk about like otherwise a straight male, right? We yeah. can say, I have parts of me that identify as straight. Now, yeah. there may be other parts of me that you are not yes. privy to at that moment. Yeah. Right. So there, it gets to be very complex. It's almost like x-ray vision, I think, which yeah. is what the Inside Out movie did, did so brilliantly. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And yeah, that's right. So any, quote, symptom that s- comes into somebody's office. Or trait, is, right? Just. Well, so that, yeah. So, so if it's a symptom like, or a trait, it, you know, there's this way that people can pathologize that as something. For us, it's a manifestation or an expression or a communication of a part. Great. So a part can communicate yes. through anxiety. It can communicate through depression. It can communicate through, um, an aspect of who I am. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, I think about that's where neuroscience comes in for me. Parts live in our mind and our imagination, right. but they express themselves through the body, um, in all different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, all, and the other thing around this is the, the expression of parts through symptoms or that psychiatric diagnoses or traits of aspects of our personality. Um, every part has a positive intention from the IFS perspective. So if you're looking at somebody who's cutting, you know, I hate my body. I want to cut or I'm right. going to cut to alleviate right. pain emotionally and switch to physical, we always look at the positive intention of that, which does turn it on its head for a lot of people. Like, what do you mean positive mm. intention of yeah, cutting? Shouldn't we try to stop this immediately yes. and confront it and limit yeah. it? We don't do that in IFS. We, we, we're always looking at the positive intention because most parts have a positive intention, which is to keep the pain away. Uh, you know, and we're always looking at that. I always talk, Keith, about the intent of a part or a symptom versus the effect of it. Because mm-hmm. most people focus on the effect of the part, right? not the intention. Right. So IFS, right. I think it brilliantly brings something really helpful for people yeah. because anybody who's struggling is like, look, I am trying my best here and I'm doing what I know how to do to survive. Mm-hmm. And IFS joins that positive intention, which allows people like, oh, Finally, somebody gets me. They're not yeah. trying to change me or stop. Yeah. 
And the, and the key thing I want to underline, I think, Frank, in my experience is that when, when you, when you do that joining and you are able to name in this very detailed way, like, oh, there's, I can, I can sort of a detect, I can detect there's a part and maybe there, we can call that a part of you that's doing this. Yeah. They begin to feel some relief that because they didn't even know up until that moment, possibly maybe at a subconscious level, but they didn't know consciously that that part of them was working and that it was doing something good. They may have developed a, reaction to it that's self-shaming or self-loathing or something. Exactly. And it's immediately exactly. like, what? You're you're and so it brings energy in. Um that's a wonderful uh summary, Frank, of, of IFS. <laughs> and there's and of course we can talk all day. People should refer to the Dick Schwartz episode I did earlier. And Dick has spoken widely. You've spoken and taught widely. Yeah. There's a lot out there for people to learn more. Yeah. Um let's talk about as it relates to parts and working with parts in therapy. Yeah. Um so therapists, we, I mean, I think I would argue that we and, and physicians as well do no harm, right? We are, one of our first obligations is to be supportive and to be um, giving and to join, right? And so yeah. this idea of, if I'm going to empathize with you. If it's the only thing I do today in therapy, I'm going to support you, yeah. right? And how does that run into, you know, how does that work when there's a trauma uh, presentation? Is that good enough? And, and what do you, what's different about working with trauma? from just supportive counseling. Yeah, so that's so much about what this book is about for me and why it's so passionate that um, one of the things I speak about in this book, and it is kind of this, it's just like an overall summary, that for me, love heals trauma, or in IFS, self-energy heals trauma, Mm -hmm. and trauma blocks love, or trauma blocks self. Okay, so love heals trauma, trauma blocks love. Anytime anybody's experiencing something traumatic, it blocks access to who they are. Okay, Mm -hmm. it is a a wound, it's a burden, it's an experience that's held within an individual, and it does block their essence. It blocks who they are. So the more we're able to heal trauma, the more people are able to become their natural self. Okay, healing trauma allows for self, authentic self-expression, authentic self-connection. So the more trauma we heal, the more people become their natural core selves. Right. Okay, I'll tell you, like for me personally, and the other thing that's really important in this is the order of healing is very important as it relates to the client's system. It's not the therapist who should dictate, let's work on this first, let's work on this second. Mm -hmm. Let's -hmm. work on your gender identity first and then your trauma second or whatever. You know, your sexual orientation, which by the way, has totally different than, you know, gender and sexual orientation is something that people confuse all the time. They're totally separate issues, right? So, when we're looking at somebody who has trauma and anybody with gender issues or sexual orientation issues has trauma in my definition, like is, is, is traumatic by definition, especially if you live in this world, even today, I'll say, Keith. But what ends up happening is you have this series of traumas. You want to trust the client's wisdom around the order of healing there. Okay. Personally, I had a lot of trauma growing up, okay? I couldn't even explore my sexual orientation at all until my trauma was healed. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Not a, so, so yeah. most of my therapy, I, and I'm a therapy lifer, by the way. I'm going to be in therapy forever. Okay. And that's okay. But I had to work through, and a lot of the trauma that I experienced was probably in retrospect because I was a little gay boy in a world that gay was not even allowed to be. Okay. Please take the time now to subscribe to the Soul of Life wherever you're listening. Give it a thumbs up or write a positive review. That's the best way to make sure you don't miss out on these amazing episodes planned for season two. You're saying that you couldn't really begin to talk about your sexual orientation until you had healed some of the trauma first. Totally, right. totally. I mean, I remember as a little boy, like looking around at men, it's like, oh, I'm supposed to be like that. That's what mm. a man is or that's what a boy is. I have to act like that. Mm-hmm. So I was not connected to me because who I was got slammed, bullied, attacked, and beaten up. So mm-hmm. I learned very quickly, I have to act like that because that's what a man's supposed to act like. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I had so, so you much. exiled these other parts, I imagine. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, interestingly enough, I exiled myself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be in the world. Right. Okay. Right. And so for me personally, and everybody's different. I had to heal a lot of that trauma. So I, so I looked like a man. I thought, Oh, got to be like a man. I married a woman like a man. Like I did all these things that I was supposed mm-hmm. to do. Right. I, I was, you know, I did that. And it wasn't until I entered therapy, healed a lot of my trauma that I then was able to see who, the emergence of me started coming out. Like this is okay. who I am. Okay. okay. So other people might need to deal with orientation or gender first before they're healing their trauma or their system tells them, no, we got to work on this trauma first before we can look into that. So it's important, I would say, for the therapist to not impose their order on a client and to really trust that internal wisdom. Right, right. Right. And, and and going back to the idea of supporting, so you're saying really listen to the client's parts, get to know which parts need attention first, perhaps yeah. work with those first. Yeah. And then the others will queue up and you'll begin to work with other parts as they free up more, more space, more self-energy, more integration, right? With, with, with the, with reality and all the other parts. Exactly. Um, and as it relates to somebody who's questioning their gender. Yeah. Um, I mean, particularly, I think I'm, I'm, I wanted to speak today about this idea of, of, of the pain point I, I'm hearing from some therapists. I'm hearing yes. it whispered from them, frankly. Yes. They're whispering this. Yes. At least to me and some others that I'm aware of. Kind of like, well, we have a sense that there is an order that we should be working with this. Yes. That when somebody comes in and say, saying, I want this, this needs to happen. Part of our job is yeah. to begin slowing things down and help them look at why. Yes. Ask why, ask why. Yeah. And yet some of the messages we may be hearing culturally as therapists, because like you said, we're in this culture, we swim in this river, yeah. where we hear and read the news stories and we want to be, we want justice and we want civil rights and equality. And so how does that, you know, do, do you get what I'm saying? Does it, totally. does it make sense? Like, can we be hijacked as therapists? <laughs> Not if you hold, so so one of the things I say to my clients, and this is true for my LGBTQ plus clients, but it's also true for any of my trauma survivors. So this doesn't, this is not unique to LGBTQ clients, but it also includes them. What I say is this key, is 
you, we, I trust your system in the order of healing. Let's not make any decisions until you've healed your trauma. Mm. Okay. Wow. So, so if you want to work on gender first, that's totally fine. Don't make any decisions until mm. your trauma is healed. I say yeah. this to trauma survivors all the time when people are going to, I, they've identified their trauma, their sexual abuse, say, and they're going to react either sue or reach out to their perpetrator and confront their perpetrator. Yeah. I said, yeah. could we just do a favor? You can do and say whatever you want to your perpetrator. Let's heal the wound first and mm-hmm. then do whatever you want to do. So okay. let me, let me, can I roll play that with you for, for one second here? Sure. So, so I'm sure. the client who's coming in and I'm convinced I've got to do X and it may be confront a perpetrator. It may be come out to a family member who might be a difficult situation or something. Yeah. Uh, I want to do this. And you're saying to me, I've got to heal my trauma. I don't, I think this is going to heal my trauma. Yeah. Like I, I had another therapist who said, coming out is going to heal my trauma. We should just, we should follow our, you know, that's me following. So, so I'm hearing a big ask from you. So here's the thing I'll say, and this is where I use my self energy to help the client differentiate how much of that coming out is coming from a part with an mm-hmm. agenda and how much that coming out is coming from a self-connected space. Cause mm, it very well, yeah. it very well may be true that coming out is going to help me heal my trauma, mm-hmm. but I am always looking at where is this coming from? Is it coming from self? Mm-hmm. Is it coming from a part? Oh my mm-hmm. God, I have to come mm-hmm. out first and then. Right. There's an, there's an energy around Pressure. parts, mm-hmm. an agenda, a drivenness and parts aren't bad. Remember, they have a positive intention, but I, I don't, I, I, I recommend let's listen to the parts. Let's not let them make the decision for mm-hmm. all of you in there. Right. Let's listen mm-hmm. to all of your parts and let's let self make the decision. So self mm-hmm. is the leader of the system. Right. Okay. Right. And the thing that's tricky, Keith, I think for therapists, especially if you're relatively new to IFS or if you don't, if you're not well connected to your own self energy, mm-hmm. it's harder for you to be able to determine whether your client is really speaking from self or speaking from a part. So this right. is where I think right. therapists get confused. Yeah. Self energy is got this open, relaxed, calm way about it. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, Frank, it just feels right in my gut. My heart is telling me this is who I am and this is who I need to be in the world. Mm-hmm. It feels very different than, oh my God, you know, my, everybody in my friend group is bi, is bisexual and I totally am bisexual and that's where I got to be. Okay, there's a different right. energy and a different, I'm like, right. okay, great. Let's be with that part. Let's learn more about it. Let's see the positive intention. Yeah. So I'm really looking for the quality. And, and you're paying attention to fear, right? Like, like embedded in that, like that ability that you have as a therapist is like, you're, you're kind of, you're, we're parts detectors, but we're also listening for what parts are afraid of. Cause that's, a, that's usually a tell, right? When there's fear in the nervous fear system. Fear and shame, fear and shame, fear and shame, especially when it comes to LGBTQ because shame yeah. is inherent. Like who yeah. I am is not okay for this world. So I'm right. always listening for fear. I'm always listening for shame. And it does 
like separate from culture and society's imposing views, sitting with somebody even today in this gender orientation affirming culture and society, it right. takes somebody a while right. to get connected to what's authentic for them. Right. I think so important what, what you're saying here. I want to underscore this, that yeah. that coming out, and let's just even use other examples. Like I'm, I met somebody, I fell in love with them and I want to get married to them. That's yeah. another example. Yeah. Like if we take, right. Totally. So, Right. So like, I just want to do this. So I want to buy this house. Yeah. Right. Or I, I want to come out. I, I, I want to tell people that maybe I'm not the way I look. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, as my gender. Um, that you're saying that there can be fear, that can be fear driven potentially. And it would lead to outcomes that if I'm not aware of that fear driving it or shame driving it, I'm not going to be any happier after having done that. No, and this is what I end up seeing over and over again. If it's parts related, it continues to be stressful, problematic, difficult. What is much more common that I see, honestly, is people become more and more of their true authentic self in a very natural, organic way. I mean, excuse me. I know that, I know that there's a lot of therapists and parents out there that have this fear because, you know, I've, it's like, oh my God, my, my 11 year old daughter says she's a boy. If we start hormones, which are, have permanent implications, what does that mean for the rest of their life? How can an, an, a, a nine year old make yeah. a lifelong decision? Right. That's right. a, that's a common thing that comes up for people. Right. The thing is this for me. When you're sitting with somebody, like it, nobody wants that. Even if it's hip and popular, like I don't want to be gay. Like that's the last thing I wanted to be. It's much mm. easier to fit into this world mm. the way the world is. Let me tell you, this is not an easy decision for anybody. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to rush into it. And when you're sitting with somebody, what ends up happening is there's probably a group of people that want to jump on board with gender because it's hip, but the more you explore that, it might be a protector of a trauma. And then you sort that out and you, okay, fine. That's a protector of a trauma. It's doing a function for the person that they may not realize. It makes, it it could, depending on the school you go to, it could allow you to fit in and belong Yeah. versus authentically be who you are. Yeah. You know, Uh, I, so many of my teenage, the clients that I work with, the teenagers, like, I don't even know that I know any straight teenagers that I work with anymore. Honestly, everybody's bisexual or, you know, genderqueer or whatever. I'm like, cool. I don't care. That's fine. Let's just sit with that. Like, that's awesome. And when you start unpacking it, it becomes clear whether it's a protect, like if you can trust yourself and trust your client, it becomes clear whether it's a part that's trying to fit in because I feel less than and alone or it's really who I am. It's not hard to sort out, Keith, if people can stay yeah. in that ambiguity because it right. really does right. surface and you could feel the difference. Yeah. Because people become more authentically themselves if it is authentic. Right. And it Over shows time. itself up. Yeah. And it shows yeah. itself up yeah. as a part serving right. a function that has another. Right. Reason. Do you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Um, the other thing, I'll, a couple other things I'll say, because I'm, I'm so glad, actually, thank you for kind of 
putting this out there because these are really sure. important conversations and I'm glad that people are going to be open. Hopefully people are going to be open to listen to this because it really is, so. it's complicated and it's very difficult right. in this pendulum. It's hard to we're... feel safe talking about our parts that get triggered by this, I think. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and people do, parents get triggered yeah, and therapists get triggered and, you know, it's not popular to say that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it, you've got to trust that there's a way that I, I'll talk about, um, cause I could just feel the evolution of the client's self if they were growing up cis and they're really trans, if they're growing up straight and they're really gay, like you can feel this mm-hmm. natural evolution of authenticity show up. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other thing I'll say, and you got to trust that, and you can feel when it's not quite right. I'm always aware if I misgender somebody, what's going on? How much Mm. of that is my parts? Mm -hmm. And how much of that is it's a part of them versus their self showing up? So I'm always looking at getting very curious about what happens with misgendering and what's that about? The other thing I'll say is I think about the self of the human being versus the self of the soul. Wow. Okay. And what I mean by that is this, is that my self as a human being has a gender and has a sexual orientation. Who I am as a human is gay and is a man. That is who I am. The self of my human is that. And there's an authenticity about that. Okay. So I believe the self, like, oh, is it a, is, is my sexual orientation a part? For me, in the human form, it is connected to self and orientation and gender. When I think about spirituality, when I go into the spiritual realm, Keith, Mm -hmm. gender and orientation kind of falls away. Yeah. It almost doesn't fit. It doesn't for any, like it's, it's time, time, there's no time, there's no gender, there's no orientation. It's just kind of falls away. It's the oneness of, of connectedness, right? In the spiritual realm. So we're working in the human realm here when we're working with people and we're looking at those self connected spaces of orientation and gender versus parts Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because people have both. You know, yeah. I can have a part of me that is attracted to women or has been sexual with women. And right. I can also have what feels like self is this is who I am. Right. 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 Now, n- l- let me, let me play devil's advocate just for Go one ahead. second. Absolutely. Here, right? Yeah. So if I'm a front and I'm no longer a frontline social worker, but if I'm yeah. a social worker frontline at a, at a community clinic, yes. right, some of these clinics or I'm, I'm being uh, an endocrinologist is referring to me. Yeah cases right and they want me to evaluate they want me to to do some sort of maybe they're checking a box but maybe they really maybe genuinely they want to hopefully and they do care about you know who is this person are they ready for this before we start treating them medically yes and i i love what you're saying i want to buy what you're what you what you're what you're giving there yes about the the spirit and the broad and the whole but i've got four sessions with this person yes right it it sounds like you're advocating for we've got to broaden this conversation we've got to 
be be better as therapists first of all get get more highly trained yes absolutely in, absolutely. in some of these models like IFS but if i if i've got a limited amount of time can i really pull all this off frank that sounds like a it's a tall order yeah i don't think so you know i one of the things i'm i'm grateful for is working with the trans community or the lgbtq the gay community we're talking about a team not one mm-hmm. person yeah. Okay. And it's really important to work within a team. I work with the, you know, I work with a gender clinic at Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. I work with, you know, parents. I work with the client individually. Like this is not a one person decision. You know, right. there's this medically imposed restrictions and guidelines. There's the client's authenticity that needs to, that we're trying to help support. But it's a team of people. It's a team approach. And yes, Keith, this takes more than four sessions. Yeah. Okay, it does. Yeah. And, and, and is there is there an allowance built in and whether it's pediatric guidance or I don't know what the, I don't know at what level, what governing body in the US, but in the UK, that's where this um, sort of scandal erupted where, where the, you know, the, the, the guidance, the, these clinicians were saying, look, the, the government guidance here is not what we think is in line with our training. Um, the, you know, we're not being allowed to do what we're supposed to do as yeah. therapists. We're, the timeline being imposed for us is too you short. There's no doubt yeah. if you take the time. There's no doubt. Yeah. It becomes clear to everyone involved in the system. There's a way to do it where it is clear and authentic. Either side of the extreme is harmful. Yeah. If you're going to rush in too quickly, of course, that's going to be harmful. And if you're going to downplay and ignore and say that can't be true, that can't be true because I have parts up around it that can't handle it, yeah. then you're going to, you're going to push away authenticity in somebody and right. alienate them and isolate them. And that's part of why we have this huge suicide epidemic in teenagers. Yeah. So both of yeah. these extremes are potentially harmful. Too much and too little. Right. Okay. We look at pull. So I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to any of those extremes. Right. In reality, when you look at the numbers, honestly, it's more harmful to downplay it than to go too quickly. That's what's more common. Kids that grow up even have an option to explore it. Really, my heart is warming in this discussion. Mm. I'm just like so grateful to be able to have this discussion because it's such a, it's near and dear to me. A lot of, I've had kids who talk about gender or orientation. Like, yeah, I'm bisexual. Of course I am. And it doesn't go anywhere when it's apart. It's like hip and popular. Mm-hmm. They don't date anybody of the opposite gender. They are same gender. They, like they're, they're like, I, I've had like, well, I can think of one client. It's like, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm bisexual. Of course I am. And it, it sounds like it's a part and it sounds popular, you know, and he's dated like four or five girls and never has dated a boy. He doesn't show any interest in a boy, you know, yeah. he's never, it's just like, it's just like, it doesn't really go anywhere. <laughs> it's like, doesn't it, have, yeah, the roots that you'd expect. It's not moving things around. It doesn't move at all. It do, it's not yeah. connected to self. So it's just cool to say, and okay, fine. So if it's a part, it doesn't have traction in the same way than somebody else who says, oh my God, 
I'm bisexual, you know, and they're struggling with it and they get suicidal, they get depressed around it. You know, when they can say it in therapy, they feel much better. Like there's a whole thing that goes around it when there's authenticity versus if it's hip or popular. To your point, like, the, the, you know, the appropriate developmental phase for adolescence is like, well, let me try this. Try it on. <laughs> let me try this. <laughs> try it on. Exactly. And for those of us parents who are, who are kind of gritting our teeth, white knuckling this, like taking everything so hard and, yeah. and rigidly and serious, it's going to be a wild ride, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be a destructive ride because parents then impose their agenda on the kid. And they can create a polarization. Okay. If a kid comes in and says, Hey, you know, I think I'm a boy. Like, okay, let's see. Yeah. And then there's nothing to push up against. Yeah. The resistance creates the thing. The resistance can, can create the thing. It's like, all right, see what happens. And then it'll just unfold in a way that, Oh my God, this makes so much sense. Or, "Ah, okay, try it on. It It didn't go anywhere. That's right. You got to at least be aware of the, yeah. of the lights that are on on the dashboard. <laughs> um, what a great conversation, Frank. I'm excited for your book, um, Transcending Trauma, Healing Complex PTSD with Internal Family Systems Therapy. Anything else you want to say about that, where people can find you and yeah, find the book? That's exactly right. So the book is now available, um, on the, during, at the, on the publisher's website, which is Pessy, P-E-S-I dot com. It's available in Barnes and Noble. Dot com. It's available on Amazon.com. So there's many places you can get the book if you're interested. Um, it's coming out again, as we said, May 19th. And if you're interested in following me or getting to know me more or what I'm doing, um, you can go to my website, which is frankandersonmd.com. That's an O-N on that Anderson. So frankandersonmd.com. Yeah, I'm glad you're out there. And I hope this can be a, a real resource for everybody, Frank. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you. And thank you for, as I said before, thank you for having me. And and thank you for approaching these really complicated, difficult topics for people. So I really appreciate that opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Soul of Life. This is Keith Miller. Oh, and don't forget, please leave a thumbs up or a like for this episode wherever you're listening so that others like you may find the soul of life. I mean, Really, it's not every day you get to share the soul of life with someone. Okay, so you can post a comment or question on souloflifeshow.com. I'd love to hear from you. And please subscribe now to get the next episode. I look forward to sharing more of my soul of life with you. I like it and it's not harsh to my eardrum. All right, I will go. 